0: Welcome to Following the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for the leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season three, episode three, titled Crazy White Fella Thinking.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Uh,. I, pr- I probably should have put the g on the end of there but it just feels better to say white fella thinking.
1: Oh yeah. than thinking.
0: Uh <laughs> what did you think of this episode?
1: Uh another another amazing episode with uh amazing performances that uh, didn't have anything to do with the, the Kevin Junior Christ story really. Um so <laughs> I thought it was great. It was a great visual landscape. Uh it was a great sonic la- landscape. I really liked how they wove the aboriginal myths and imagery into Kevin Senior's story mm-hmm. and then brought it back to the J- Judeo-Christian stuff by the end. Uh I laughed, I cried. I had a good time. How what do you think? <laughs> uh yeah, mostly on the same page. I I felt a little
0: I guess empty after this episode. Like, really? Not as if I had been drained, but if I had just been left wanting a little bit. Um, what
1: what how are you unfulfilled? How are you not? I don't know.
0: Um I'm not sure, because on the second viewing, I think it was a better episode. And once you start actually thinking about the implications of it, it makes it a better episode
1: um, were, what, than I had initially thought. Were you suffering from some expectations? Were you disappointed that we went away from Kevin uh, Jr.? I think it was, yeah, Kevin just, Jr.? just
0: missing all of the the major characters that I'm yeah. used to and going to what has essentially been a minor character in the show. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. And also, it, was a, it felt like a very just straightforward kind of like, uh, we gotta connect these dots, so here we fucking go, right? Okay. Like, we have to connect the dot of Kevin Sr. and the TV and in the hotel room and this idea of drowning the Kevin uh, that we established in the, the last episode. It, it felt in some ways like it was just a connective tissue episode um, and not really progressing things forward very much. Yeah. So, but, you know, it... That's kind of what this show is. It's all tied together in a specific way, and when you have these focuses on a single character for the most part uh, right. every episode, you're going to have those kind of th- those things that feel like they're just connecting dots we already kind of know about.
1: I've always thought Kevin Senior is a hugely entertaining character. He's always he there with like the acid tongue and the foul mouth, and the <laughs> right. muttering under his breath, and he's really. You know, he was more of a fun kind of crazy than than Kevin Junior's more tortured crazy throughout the series, and Uh I was wondering if um, I was wondering if the episode because because I was geared up to this, I I figured this would be ninety percent Kevin just by the title and from some of the previews, Kevin Senior, sorry, Uh, Daddy Kevin, and so I wasn't expecting to get back to the stuff going on in America or at at most I expected to see maybe Kevin Jr. getting off the airplane at the end of the episode. We didn't even get that. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was interesting because this new incarnation of his character as this weird kind of traveling sh- shaman um, I-, I thought it was interesting because he doesn't seem as crazy as he used to be but mm. he still has all of the You know crazy thoughts and thought patterns and the way he sees the world and himself and how like I I continue to marvel how the show walks this fine line between this has to be more than coincidence versus oh these are actually coincidences that people are finding meaning in. Right. They're deliberately manufacturing things that people, if in their right frame of mind and the, if they weren't traumatized or they weren't gone through something like the, the Great Departure, they would never in a million years connect and this would just be a very pedestrian story. But I, I thought it was – It's uh, Lindelof alluded to this and it's kind of behind the scenes feature at the show after the episode that it's just kind of fun to see a, a sane person do crazy things and, and mm-hmm. you know that he's still – you know, he's still aware of, of people. He knows how to be charming, and he knows the danger of himself and how he's perceived and how that could potentially stop his, his what he considers his great work. Um, and there's a lot of sad and pathos to this, too. Um, yeah. Like, I the, the thing that I don't really understand is his... I don't even know how to, to explain it. The fact that he's so outraged that his son is upstaging him, or he's so detached since you know at the time he left kevin was not with the program mm-hmm. uh, and he's been over at, here trying to save the world through learning the song line that he's kind of outraged that he might not be the g that he might be at best a john the baptist uh-huh. uh and he's just not willing to admit that and maybe the end of the episode is about him coming to grips with that role you think so? Because when she says the wrong Kevin I distinctly think he's thinking of his son not himself.
0: I think he's thinking of himself here. See I this very much to me seems like a story of a man who is searching for purpose after this traumatic event. Yeah. And, and this is what I love so much about it right? You you touched on it like, like we do every episode which is the walk the walking of the line that it does between supernatural and real and how much people just tell themselves these stories and how much it's open to interpretation i think he's interpreted all of these events as having some significance in his life when in fact he he is acting on on cues that he's manufacturing yes um you know this idea that a tape from 1981 of kevin and him at niagara falls would have any bearing on you know current day is a completely manufactured cue yeah it's it's he is he is so desperate in looking for his purpose. Right, that a that chicken he is,
1: pecks on a recorder, he plays a song, and then right. singing Itsy Bitsy Spider, and now he's going to save the world. Yeah, That's and the insane. rain happens
0: to stop during that... Tape. Right. It, yeah, it's absolutely insane. Now, now what's,
1: what's hilarious is in the world of The Leftovers, it still might be true. Sure, yeah. Because coincidentally, absolutely. another flood might come and he might sing this thing. Right. And there's also like a lot of delicious irony, like you know, Christopher Sunday pointing out, my song is, in fact, a rain song. It's yeah. here to bring, to bring the rain. And, yeah. oh, it's a matter of interpretation. That's this fucking story in a nutshell.
0: And you also have it um, in parallel with this woman, I think her name's Grace. Yes. Um, who... Did the exact same thing and told herself a story. Told herself the story that her entire family had been raptured. Uh, which, I mean, to try and get into the headspace of someone whose initial thought when they can't find their children and husband is rapture. Well, is insane to me. But, but it's, it's in the
1: context of the Great Departure. Like I don't I'm know sure, that it is. She said nah. immediately
0: when I found out, I knew that
1: it was rapture. But, but I, okay, so I'm not sure. You can parse the language there, yeah, yeah, but that's what okay. I got out of it. All right, that's fine.
0: Uh, she She has told herself the story of of her family her entire family departing uh that turned out to be demonstrably untrue uh her her husband right. departed and her children went off you know in search went off on this walkabout essentially right. uh where they they succumbed to the land and they died so she is she at that point was clearly telling telling herself a story that was untrue and I think that you could say Kevin here is doing the same.
1: Well, and, and also this is ties into the Millerite stuff because she's yes. she has been confronted twice now with evidence that her understanding of things is not true, but here's yet another person to say, no, you weren't wrong, you just had the wrong interpretation of what was going on, and right. bam, the lights come on again. It's yeah. like this maddeningly insane thing.
0: <laughs> but it's a man who like, no, you, you won't
1: question his own beliefs in the same way. But he does... He's presenting thing. It's this like, as a
0: solution for her problem, but his own problem is not solved by that, the same that's solution. That's what I'm
1: saying. Like like a chicken pet, pet pecks on this recorder, he plays It's a Bitsy Spider, and instead of thinking, well, this is fucking ridiculous. It's a dead end. Uh-huh. He sees, oh, the spirits are telling me that this thing is going to happen, and I'm the only one. Like, he just runs with it. And that's... Right. That's the crazy, the, the, the sane and rationalness is how he goes about trying to, I guess, you know accomplish that goal mm-hmm. like he's a highly functioning insane person um which is entertain, which is an entertaining thing and also as pointed out in some of the interviews i've been reading that is essentially how any great religion starts an eccentric person that probably has some kind of diagnosable disorder is outside of is, is, is ostracized and put outside of society and then events around him retcon them into being this really wise spiritual person and Mm -hmm. uh you know that's my theory of like uh you know we're all fucked if an asteroid hits on a date that some crazy person says the world's going to end like there's the Uh end of rationality you know that like you know muhammad jesus buddha um all these people were just um to the extent that they're based on any kind of historical character at all were just people that you know were made great after the fact because events were reinterpreted and meanings that weren't there were were assigned to them and you know mm-hmm. of course that's my that's my opinion as a as a secular person uh, but that and that's why I think this episode is another part another brick in the greatness is the leftovers because mm-hmm. these meditations are all there but supported by just insanely good film work. And insanely good acting and writing. Yeah, like like these the the big short showpiece monologues in this episode. Kevin explaining to Christopher Sunday why he's come to him for his wisdom, and mm-hmm. Grace explaining to Kevin what the hell her deal is, are just one of the best. The, my I probably the best thing I've seen on TV thus far, and I've seen a lot of good television in the mm-hmm. first four, going on five months of 2017. Like right. I just just yeah, caught I mean, up on the Handmaid's Staples. Tale it's... this weekend. Just caught just caught the first episode of American Gods, and holy cow, this this year is packed with great television already. <laughs> that's the thing. This show, it, that is its bread
0: and butter, is these these very intense scenes, very personal scenes with characters. Um, and that's that's the thing that makes me love it so much. It's not necessarily about the mystery of this departure or if we'll ever find a solution for these people. It's more about the journey that they're going on which is you know in some cases epic like kevin's in some cases much more low-key and personal like nora
1: right and you know at the end of the day the thing i guess the reason i keep watching is because i root for these people to find peace um Mm -hmm. i mean i've been in times of my life confused and lost and my illusion shattered and i've been able to rebuild my life and uh that's an interesting it's an interesting struggle and it's an interesting uh journey and I love seeing like kind of vicariously getting the enjoyment of seeing these people navigate these difficult and hard to understand times. We have a stereotypically packed week at Bald move as most of our spring spring lineup is. We've already got Jackie Brown a deep dive into Quentin tarantino's uh, one of his finest movies uh, mm-hmm. that I hadn't seen before and enjoyed watching and and giving it a take on it just came out yesterday. Uh, tomorrow for club members, we got got uh, Quit Your Pitching, another crazy uh, show of Jim and I making up television shows and pitching them to each other. We also have Better Call Saul and Fargo coming in this week. Cecily and I will be uh, taking the microphones to discuss The Handmaid's Tale, the first three episodes released on Hulu this week or last week. Uh, we we saw those. We're going to be talking about them. might be talking about American Gods, although that was really a crazy, crazy show that I might want to get another week on before I have some thoughts on. Also Thursday uh night we'll be releasing our uh spoiler-free and spoiler-filled re- reviews of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 as well as uh our uh, lunch uh, or weekly lunch episode on Friday. All that stuff. That's a lot of content. I'm exhausted just saying it and haven't even recorded 90% of it yet. Yeah. Uh I hope you guys enjoy it and that's what's coming in that's that's what's going down this week at BaldMove.com. I I want to maybe
0: question kevin senior's motives uh in this episode because you can tell that he is displeased for whatever reason that the book of kevin is not about him um and i guess that's what he expected when matt says hey i'm writing a book of kevin mm-hmm. i guess even kevin senior gets confused and forgets to ask senior
1: or junior every once in a while uh see i think there's going to be kevin Kev- the first kevin second kevin first okay <laughs> that's, yeah that's how the bible goes right sure yeah yeah
0: uh, but at the end, it it made me wonder if he is not taking advantage of this woman to try and leave a legacy as great or greater than the younger Kevin.
1: Well, that all hinges on your understanding of his enigmatic last line because I came away with that with him. Find, I came away with that him realizing and, and coming to peace with the fact that this story was about Kevin Jr., not Kevin Sr., you see what, that as what a made doubling you, down. Like, what
0: made you think that? I'm just curious. Not like
1: because none of Kevin's bullshit, Kevin Senior's bullshit, has anything to do with going to the land of the dead and giving people peace of mind about how their family is doing. That's Kevin Junior's story, and that's what mm-hmm. this woman is looking for. She's not looking for a person to save drowned ducks. She's not looking for a person to to sing a rainstorm away. Mm -hmm. She's looking for her missing piece of her soul. Now you could be right, and Kevin's like that. You're actually looking for the wrong thing, the thing that's going to build you, the the purpose that's going to animate your life. Now is going to be helping me. You could be right about that, but I think what he's coming to, and like that, that kind of the wistful smile at the end is realizing that oh no, I am the John the Baptist in this story there is uh, someone greater coming that I'm preparing to wait for. Mm-hmm. And when he finds out, you know, like uh, he's so resistant about Kevin coming to Australia, Kevin is now coming to Australia whether he wants to or not. And I think that's going to be, he's going to wrap that into his visionary quest. And yeah. So
0: let me ask you this. Do you think that there's any possibility this story is heading toward a confrontation between the Kevins? Well, one, one where Kevin Sr. desperately wants to be the quote-unquote chosen one here uh, and where Kevin Jr. actually is. And and perhaps Kevin Jr.'s struggle all along is not, you know, some uh, supernatural journey. Maybe it's just n- not quite a metaphor, but but a journey to kind of overcome his crazy father's shadow, essentially.
1: Well, it's interesting because, you know, there's lots of Christ-Antichrist- Arguments to be had yeah. um, and you know uh, good and evil and we talked about that with uh, Nora you know how Nora is uh, I, I feel like Nora feels more like an antichrist or more of a, <laughs> uh, a demonic figure um, uh-huh. I, I like I like Nora quite a bit I'm just saying that like um, just in the show's language it seems like that's more of a fit for her. Um, but yeah, I could see that. I don't think that's what's. I don't. It doesn't feel like that's where the story's going. But I wouldn't be shocked or like outraged if that's because uh, because clearly there's going to be some kind of. They're going for some kind of apocalyptic event, and that's defined by you know good and evil, like the the final reckoning. So there right. will be something in opposition to Kevin. Either of the Kevin's, or maybe it's the the Kevin's themselves that are at war with each other. Yeah, maybe there's a reconciliation. Like instead of a paradise lost, there'll be a paradise regained, where you know God and the devil shake hands and make up, and uh-huh. the devil learns his place in the universe. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I guess what got me on that track is the idea that God is. Kind of trying to thwart him, or that's how Kevin perceives it, anyway. Yeah, um, you know, shouting to the heavens, you can't stop me, asshole! Right, uh, and then it starts raining, which he takes as a sign that you know he's God's on his side now. But then he realizes, oops, it's actually taken out the tape recorder, which is my only link to the path. Yeah, it's that I a, have a to blessing and
1: curse all in one.
0: Right. So I, I don't know. Certainly, Kevin Senior would never view himself as the opposition to you know, whatever God's will would be here, though.
1: Right. Well, and that's... You know, we open up with this flashback to the Day of Departure where it's just looking at Kevin Sr.'s back as the chief of police of Mapleton. He's observing Mm -hmm. all the carnage that's happened when, you know, 2% of humanity has just evaporated, uh, which I thought was oddly similar to what we've seen at the end of Season 1 and the end of Season 2. Like, it's much more chaotic than I uh, originally would have thought that that impact would have like, but it's hard to say like, that's such a shocking offense to reason Mm -hmm. that who knows what the hell people would do. So, but, but immediately by his own admission and by, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that the camera is not lying to us. Like as he's surveying, he hears his first voice, right? Which the way that it's edited is seems like it's, it's, it's Kevin Jr.'s voice that he's hearing. I mean, that's not how he describes it in the series, but they blend, uh, you know, Kevin worrying about ducks being drowned with him snapping his head as he hears his first voice with him also spying on these aboriginal Australians dancing and singing. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an interesting story within a story. This guy is, this guy is committing the crime of photogra- photographing these sacred Australian rites. Uh-huh. as the filmmakers are filming what i presume like like i don't know maybe these village elders are doing a um, a a mock version of it to preserve their secrets uh-huh but it wasn't did, did that seem did that seem weird to you the drama within the drama
0: that's that's interesting uh i hadn't thought about it
1: right huh it kind of reminded me of the story of uh, there's a location scout for Breaking, uh, Breaking Bad, and they talked about like, negotiating with the tribal elders to get on the Tahajalee Reserve and the mm-hmm. film in some of these sacred areas. And uh, a question we asked him, because we were interviewing him, was like, you know, how did you, you know what, how did you work out the permission to get that? And he, he didn't answer. He just made the universal sign of money rubbing <laughs> his fingers together. Uh, it's like that seems like, okay, yeah, if you pay enough money, that's the, the, the respect has been paid. Right. I, I don't have anything about that I couldn't find because that's the – I always think of that when I see it. It's like, well, the whole point of the scene is to show how wrong this is, but yet we're seeing it. Right. So what the fuck?
0: Yeah. Uh, and it might just be something that's completely staged, you know. Mm-hmm. Just a patch of land that isn't sacred. They put up a sign. They do some random dance and song. Right.
1: It's not one of their sacred song lines. Right. It's just one of, you know.
0: Just like – it's dinner time. This yeah, is our like, dance like, like song. We have
1: sacred songs and gospels, and we also have the Boogie Woogie, you know? Right,
0: right. <laughs> yeah, I got down a rabbit hole listening to, like, aboriginal rock bands.
1: Yeah, and if you, like, search for, like, song line stuff on YouTube, you can literally spend hours and hours just watching, like, yeah. stuff, stuff. Of, of various qualities and seriousness and journalistic and historical merit, um, yeah. So maybe we should continue along the the,
0: well, the part of before, my outline bef- that I label the Kevin, the book of Kevin, okay. Senior. Because I you, think there are two books here.
1: Okay. Uh, before, because I, I, since we're talking about the opening, I want to I want to also yeah. point out as we go uh, some flaws in Kevin Senior's thinking hmm. um, because he's listening to this part of this tape about Kevin worrying about these ducks drowning. And the whole thing is Kevin senior saying, you don't need to save the ducks. The ducks will be fine. You'd be surprised how long they can hold their breath. And the fact that they've evolved for this behavior and they're not actually drowning mm-hmm. yet. He is convinced that only he can save these people from drowning, that they can't possibly save themselves. Right. That seems like a giant flaw in his theory and his, his cause cosmology. I just want to point that yeah. out.
0: No, I mean, it's, all of these interpretations are based on bias. Um, it, you know, this woman's children die because of her bias, uh, or potentially because die because of her bias. Uh, Kevin Senior is off in Australia because of his biases. Like he hears this thing and he interprets it a certain way. And well, and there that, he goes off that, to Australia. That
1: goes to the the line between rationalism and irrationality. Because right. did he start hearing voices because of the departure, or has he heard voices because he had a psychic psychotic break? brought on by the craziness of the departure yeah um the other thing i want i I pondered and i didn't get the answer to is do the aboriginal people have a problem with kevin senior doesn't seem like is it it more like i mean obviously a lot of these policemen that he's dealing with seem to be aboriginal as well and they have opinions on this thing Mm -hmm. but the one that is is like in super high you know, offense about this is this stereotypical white liaison person that's going on about, and you know, he throws the fact that like even into the 70s that the Australian government was actively working to destroy this culture. Yeah. Um. But I mean, he seems like he's way more embedded into this culture and knowledgeable, knowledgeable about it. And Christopher Sunday didn't seem to be particularly offended by any of his line of questioning, and he was either bemused or interested by it all. I, I I wondered that it's like, uh, is he really being a menace to these Aboriginal societies, or is this more kind of a trumped up concern, trolling by the white people of Australia? Yeah, it
0: doesn't seem to me that he is is feared or or you know looked down upon by the Aboriginals themselves. Yeah, um, and I guess like it. How much do you believe what he's saying about, oh, I'm a initiated, fully initiated
1: Yamajaran or whatever? I, uh, I don't know, because he's clearly free with telling whatever lies to serve in his ultimate mission. So, And I also picture a scenario in which he has done the rituals himself to uh-huh. make himself uh, right, a respected yeah, elder yeah. of the I, community. I spied but... on their coming of age ceremony. I performed it on myself, so we're good. We're right, all cool. Right. You know, like. Yeah, that's uh, but but you know, if he's just that down with the culture. elders, then why isn't he down there singing and dancing with them? Why is he having to spy right. using you know spy gear? Yeah, uh, special microphones and whatnot to to get this stuff. Um, I don't know. It's great, and the fact that uh, I guess it's all a matter of interpretation, man. Yeah. So anyway, you have a you have an outline.
0: Oh, a rough one. I just was going to talk about. Kevin Sr.'s journey so far, um, which, you know, that we see a good chunk of here in this episode. Um, You know, he's watching this carnage ensue in the streets on the day he starts hearing voices, uh, which is the day of departure. And, um, you know, he kind of follows those voices via stuff we've already seen uh, in a lot of cases to Australia where it dead ends and this guy in the red headband gives him God's tongue yeah. Uh, which is a, apparently a hallucinogenic. He trips. He sees a chicken on the TV. I thought it was interesting that he does not see Kevin on the TV. Or if he did, he certainly doesn't remember it.
1: But everything else is the same. He's seen, like, we when we go back and look at his uh, transmission into the International Hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a small. He's got a bed on fire. He's got aborigines dancing, which he could be his interpretation of the hippies, you know, dancing beside him, and yep. he's talking to Kevin. And it's also, um, I I wondered if that was thematic because he sees Kevin as a coward at that point. Like at, at that point in his journey, he sees Kevin as someone who's trying to run away from his purpose, who's trying to ignore the voices, and is not giving in to this purpose that's being thrust upon him. So yeah. he would metaphysically interpret seeing kevin as a chicken now on the other hand if you don't believe that just supernatural things happening then this is just all a coincidental coincidental dream imagery that they shared Now, now that's the thing like this this seems very hard for me to explain yeah um because like i said last week like it seems like if if both of these people under completely separate instances had some kind of shared dream imagery that would be pretty concrete. But then I started thinking, like, even this morning, like, if I came into the office and you told me you had a dream and I, by coincidence, had the exact same dream, like, we dreamed about something, I don't know. And, I, and I'm trying to think of, like, what, how crazy it could be that would be, like, what, what dream would be so convincing that I would say there's no natural, rational explanation for this. We have to have some kind of dream psychopower, Jim. We right. have to. There's no other explanation. Yeah. I don't. I can't think of any. So why am I? There so?
0: isn't. There isn't a single dream that would do. And this and me. see that this
1: is the fuck. I, I've I've kind of resolved that I'm going to I'm going to hold on to my rationalism in 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 the leftovers universe. But the show is really challenging me because mm-hmm. it's possible for them to have this kind of shared, especially since you know Kevin saw his dad. His dad saw a chicken. That already is a break in the storyline. So like it's it seems like it's more plausible.
0: Yeah, I mean, an alternate explanation could be, and there's nothing to really support this other than Kevin's knowledge that his dad went to Australia. Right. Perhaps he has some knowledge of the aboriginal culture there, potentially given to him by his father at some point along the way. Right. And he's just envisioning what his father would be experiencing in there. And it's this mishmash of his own uh, current... Predicament in the hotel yeah. and what he thinks his father would be up to. Yeah, and that on the other side of that equation, it it so happens that Kevin Senior is also having a vision, but of nothing to do with Kevin Junior. And here, here I'm a chicken he- named Tony. Now I think this is all. I think this is all. Part of a vision. I don't. I don't know that Kevin Senior is actually talking to Kevin Junior. Well, yeah, um, or that
1: he ever goes to visit a chicken named Tony. Right. The powerful hallucinogenic really, right, s- really paced over a lot of this rough road.
0: I think at some point he gets it in his head that this tape, like during his trip, he gets sure this yeah. chicken thing, and in his head when he comes out of the trip is the tape is the key.
1: Yes. And the other thing that's interesting is every time they play a clip of this tape. It feels like, except for the Itsy Bitsy Spider, which just seems like a non-sequitur that he's assigned a significance to, it seems like these snippets are disproving or should be a cautionary tale. Like, when he's yeah. talking about the assassination attempt on Reagan, and he's talking about Taxi Driver and comparing the two with the actual real-life assassin, and Kevin Jr. is trying to understand, well, why would this guy do this? What is his... And he's like, at the end, like, because he's just, he's just crazy, Kevin. Yeah. That's what happens, and the president's going to be okay, and we shouldn't worry about this. hmm but Kevin Sr. is assigning wild uh, significance to everything and is not open to the idea that he's crazy. He flatly rejects that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's interesting that all of the snippets of tape we hear are essentially telling Sr. to, like, hey, slow your roll and reconsider this.
0: Yeah, he's abandoned his rationality at some point.
1: Right. But he sees that that plain reading, and he thinks it's all tying into his delusions.
0: Yeah. And then Grace at the end does the same thing, right? Like, you can see on her face that when he says, you just got the wrong Kevin, that's something that is inspiring to her. Um, Despite the evidence that she should be thinking about, which is I did this once and I fell in, I did this twice now. Yeah. And both times it's been false. I'm going to go for a third.
1: Well, I mean, that's, that's that's the definition of crazy. What we saw in the opening of the season though.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. In
1: fact, there's more than a little physical resemblance between that Millerite woman and grace. I think Okay. Um, Certainly thematic, but I think physically they they look a lot the same too.
0: Totally. And they're just juxtaposing, you know, specifically with the Millerites and and Grace here, the idea of someone who is willing to go along with these ideas for whatever reason, maybe desperation, um, looking for hope, purpose, and someone who isn't.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the Nat Geo article? Okay. So this is a storied National Geographic article. It's gone Mm -hmm. throughout the different seasons of the leftovers. And if you didn't know, um, this was actually part of uh, their alternate reality kind of game that marketing plays. Like some of the, uh, if you signed up for this uh, leftovers mailing list in season one, one of the care pack packages you got was um, an a a reproduction of this May 1972 issue of National Geo. Uh, the cover stories were Yellowstone's hundredth birthday party, uh, Cairo, troubled capital of the Arab world, which had a lesser fulfillment uh, when Kevin uh, kidnapped um, uh, the Patty, and the place he took her to is Cairo, New York, mm-hmm. to do his uh, his murder of her. Uh, there's a story about it living in a vi- Japanese village There's an under- a spider that lives underwater Talking about the, the, the spider that builds an elaborate nest That it fills with a, a bubble of oxygen And it actually lives underwater It's incredible uh, And then a story about the excavations in uh, Thera Solving the riddle of the Menorans, Which is a sea people that disappeared without a trace from the historical record um, a lot of these have, you know, have, have had a little bit of fulfillment in, in Leftovers history. Uh, the one that I guess I'm interested in talking about now is the spider that lives underwater. That seems like it has okay. the most chance of having a connection to this season since there's a lot of great flood imagery mm-hmm. um, introduced. Um, I mean, if you weren't paying attention to the previews, certainly this episode introduced you to that concept. Um now, what I don't know is why did he rip the first page of the Book of Kevin off and put the $100 bill that Matt sent him and fold it up into a bookmark? Uh,
0: I don't know. Not sure.
1: I mean, that's the thing. I also don't – the corresponding question is what did Kevin write on the page as he was dying? Hmm. that the that that the that that the woman grace found and and then completely misinterpreted was well, she it's a whole page but he he wrote something in red ink and we never saw that right i don't think so no. i wonder if that's going to be significant going forward could be but anyway i don't I mean, I, I I'm just I'm I, I don't have any theories I want to talk about. I'm just I'm just pointing out. I had a lot of people frustrated that a lot of um, mainstream outlets, <laughs> the mainstream media, is refusing to talk about the Nat Geo connection. So I just wanted to bring it up because I recognized it, and I have yeah. a little I have actually to cover uh, copied in my notes here.
0: Kevin Senior just needs to find the the underwater hatch, right? And he'll be good when the floods come. <laughs> uh, the other thing about the National Geographic May 1972. Is about eight years from 1981, uh, or it's nine years. But Kevin Jr. could conceivably be eight years old at some point during that year, okay. if he were born in late 81 mm-hmm. or, or late 82. And you mean seventy two? Seventy two. Sorry. And then it was early 81 when they were taking mm-hmm. their trip. What uh, does like eight have perhaps to? Do with May. If this is uh, a seven-year gap. That's how I would old, be. That's how old he is in the tapes, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So does oh so I does see. It have the
0: 1972 National it's Geographic the birth, have any it's, it's tie? It's the new birth of Christ, right? Right to Kevin himself, that's Kevin Junior.
1: Uh, uh, ak BK.
0: Okay, after it's it's about it's about it's Kevin.
1: about time to have a new epoch, right? Yeah. we've been going on two thousand years of this. Yeah, it's, need, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm I'm ready for an AK type of life <laughs> after Kevin. Yeah, um, I right. don't know
0: what the significance there is, other than to say it could be potentially Kevin's birth year and month. Kevin yep. Junior.
1: One of the rules of this podcast: we don't theorize, except for when we do. Uh, we just. Oh, I'm not crafting out. a theory. No, we're just, just pointing, pointing it out. out. Yeah, we're just provide we're just <laughs> providing information. Yeah, that, it's it's just information, everybody. Um, so, Cap, what did you think about – I mean, I, and the other thing that this establishes, this entire episode, in, from the perspective of the entire series, is a flashback from the previous episode. Mm-hmm. We're actually going back several weeks and seeing what Senior has been doing since we've resumed keeping tabs of people in The Leftovers. Uh, we know that because Mary is quite angry with Matt, but she hasn't taken off yet. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was that was interesting, kind of in how in denial Matt was about their relationship, yeah, and how just not on the same page and it also gives a little bit more illumination on mary 's side because if Kevin has been in constant contact with Matt, I mean even if you don 't want to believe that matt 's crazy, like it 's hard to not think that Kevin is crazy, oh, I think matt 's just as crazy as a kid's like yeah. Matt. Here's a guy, but I understand why he's crazy. Like, if I, 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 don't think my rational mind would have withstood the things that he lived through.
0: Okay, yeah, I, I mean, maybe, maybe not. But my, my line of reasoning on why he's crazy here is: this is a man who, when confronted with the idea that children don't feature prominently in scriptural text, just take that at face value, even though he is writing a fucking new gospel with cheeseburgers in it. Fucking cheeseburgers. Have you seen the, the yeah, screenshots yeah, of these cheeseburgers pages? Cheeseburgers
1: do not... Uh, do not uh, they do not
0: feature prominently in biblical mm-hmm. text. Especially I can tell you that. cheeseburgers. No.
1: Right out. <laughs> right Lord out. Lord ain't trucking with that. So, yeah. I mean, clearly biased. <laughs> I like how it's so sublime that Matt factually points out that Isaac was 36, a full-grown man during the sacrifice yeah. scene. And Kevin Sr. says, that makes no fucking sense. Yep. Dude, you're trying to sing... To prevent the apocalypse, uh uh-huh. uh you have no right to tell anybody that something does or doesn't make sense, yeah uh the uh, so the other and we were you know there's the other thing about these theories um that that why I don't like to engage in it, like we briefly discussed the different possibilities of the end of that episode people were on the subreddit were taking really extreme stands about no day these women have to be working with kevin senior is the only way or law and it turns out that what happened uh first of all kevin throws away the book the book is now in the wild yeah the book but, is it could be recovered and, and and seen as gospel by anybody that wants to now but all the pages have cheeseburgers on them. all it's, the pages it's cheeseburgers from hell to breakfast um yeah and they also this the single page is what influenced the women they weren't steeped in the lore of kevin right how yeah i, yeah, I want to know how grace got these other three women together on the strength of this one water stain note uh-huh and convinced them to kill a man yeah <laughs> like That's that a good question i mean you know it in it also just shows that there's pockets of crazy everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen The Guilty Remnant. We've seen Kevin Jr. and Sr. We've seen Nora. But that this stuff is just happening all the time. You see all these different cults. You had Holy Wayne. Yeah. Like, there's people losing their fucking minds across the planet. You got Reddit. You got Reddit. <laughs> yep.
0: People are losing their fucking minds the R, theorizing R, 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 R on Reddit, The R slash man. The Leftovers is, Holy uh, shit.
1: is insanity central. <laughs>
0: it sure is in a lot of cases. Uh-huh. Uh, what'd you make of? Let's let's talk a little bit about this whole scenario with Kevin Senior. He he gets bit
1: by the snake. He gets taken in, um. and you can't say he got bit by the snake without pointing out that the immediate aftermath is identical to what happens with the cave woman. Like even the way they kill, like you know, the fact that they just whip the snake to death. Essentially, after that, mm. like I, it, it's very suggestive of the imagery from the uh, season opener for season two.
0: Okay, cool. Um so he gets taken in by by this woman grace um in her flock, let's call it mm-hmm. uh nurse back to health and when he wakes up he's he's looking for food and and he's he grabs this bottle of medicine says Caleb's arthritis mm-hmm. And this dog named Caleb or he assumes it's the dog uh-huh. uh, you, you want to talk a little bit about Caleb in the bible i uh, did you, I, I I looked up a couple of things on it cuz man my memory was
1: rusty on that. Uh is Caleb one of the kids of the concubines of Abraham or Isaac? Uh no, Cal- Caleb as far as I saw
0: and there's probably a thousand Calebs in the Bible, uh-huh. but um uh, so Caleb probably actually means dog um according to uh Jewish scripture All right, or Jewish right on, thinking. Right on. Um there, he was one of the 12 spies sent by Moses into the land of Canaan to survey the land.
1: It's Joshua and Caleb, right.
0: Right, to, sur- to like, really survey the land. Like, take a look at the geography of it, the mm-hmm. growing patterns. Like, would this be a good place for us to settle down?
1: And also, like, the lay- how many fortifications are there? How numerous are the people? It's sure, like, sure. Yeah.
0: But a, a lot of it revolved around, like, the land itself. Mm-hmm. And that really ties into this idea of song lines. Um, that's kind of, you know,
1: all over Kevin Senior here. Can you explain the concept of the Aboriginal songline? Because I only vaguely understand it, and I want as, to see. Me too. Okay.
0: Um, I haven't done years of research. I'm not a historian, but as I, I understand lived among it, the people I haven't been accepted. In I'm not the, an uh, initiated Yarmulke. In Jara the
1: Papunya Snake Tribe. No, no, all not right. yet.
0: I'm working <laughs> on it. Uh, but Sharon just keeps getting in my fucking way.
1: <laughs> <God> damn Sharon. <laughs> Why do you? I also high, killed one. Get off your high on. horse. You you probably, as a teenager, worked to eradicate the rib. Uh, probably. Yeah. Damn it, Sharon.
0: Uh, as I understand it, a song line is a tradition of describing through dance and song the landscape um, down a certain path, and and they believe it's the paths that. Not the gods, I forget what they're called. But some beings before time, there was like this dreaming time, time,
1: and they, they made reality real by walking along this and naming the things they saw, which then sprung into existence.
0: Yeah, and this is kind of the, the replication of that journey and that path by the the people
1: of the area. Okay, that's what I understood it as too. Yeah.
0: So I thought it was interesting that Caleb was one of the spies that was sent to survey the land in the Mm -hmm. same way that like a song line kind of describes the land. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and come back with that. And this it's was also
1: thematic to Kevin because that's literally what he's doing. He's spying out the land and its people and trying to get information from them.
0: Yeah, and this was all at the end of the forty-year journey through the desert, right? Right. of Of the Israelites, so
1: right. their own walkabout.
0: Yeah, Kevin's doing the walkabout. The Israelites did the walkabout. Caleb kind of helped them to the end of that. It's it's all very thematic. Uh-huh. If uh-huh. only
1: if only the man who set himself on fire's last name was Bush. <laughs> we'd be, we, we'd, be we'd we be complete we know that it wasn't we'd have a burno uh my headcanon says it was he was yeah. uh he's kevin bush <laughs> and uh he's he he chief he, of police he, he's a, he was a, <laughs> he's, he's a, literally a burning bush yeah that spoke to kevin in the wilderness yep <laughs> Uh, I don't want to derail it because I kind of want to talk about that guy now. I, were you at the end of your thought? It seemed like no, I was. No, let's go. Okay. Let's talk
0: about the Volkswagen guy.
1: Okay, so Volkswagen guy. One of the leading theories, and the one that I I guess I subscribe to, is that we're going to appreciate that this guy was rejected from the nuclear powered. Irradiation microwave.
0: Yeah, this is one of the theories going on. Kevin
1: Senior seems to be laboring under oppression. That this guy is upset because people were departed and he was left behind. But he's talking about being excluded. Like, like we'll we'll come to appreciate that there's a psychological battery of questions they ask you, and then they tell you whether you're eligible for the program or not. And one of those nonsensical questions is, "Would you kill a baby if it meant curing cancer?"
0: What what would the purpose of the questions be?
1: Beats the fuck out of me. That's the flaw in the ointment because I don't know if it's a scam, right. the only question is does your check clear? If okay. it's if it's if it's actually something that these people believe in, then maybe they don't want to like to the extent that they think this is a supernatural, although they've through science explained the mechanism that maybe there's a fear that they don't want to tamper with You know, they're trying to figure out whether someone's a good person or someone is answering questions truthfully or Mm – I mean, I don't know because it seems like a person who would kill a baby to cure cancer, there's a lot of different ways you could look at that. Uh, They are um, overcoming their instincts to serve a larger purpose. Uh, They are credible. Uh, just, you know, they're, they're essentially the same kind of like Milgram prison experiment or Stanford prison experiment that like they're willing to do something on the promise of an uncertain reward. And that's crazy. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know, yeah. but I do like that theory that he's distracted. He thought he was going to rejoin his loved ones on the other side. And, and the, the, the microwave people said no.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of like it too, even though I don't think it's strongly supported at all. No. Um, Currently, but it may be later. Let me let me propose who else, this
1: cause who would else? Yeah, I'm interested in other theories about who the they would be that would be asking. It could be that the Australians, because um, cause Nora asks a lot of weird ass questions in her. Yeah. Like we've seen her ask a bunch of in her Department of Sudden Departure investigations. Yep. Uh, do you think there's an Australian version, and that's one of the questions they ask for whatever reason? Uh. That, but
0: okay. So. So he didn't he didn't get the money, the insurance payout that comes along with the DSD saying, yeah, this is a departure, all right. Right. So yeah, now you he's to, distraught. He just want to
1: kill babies, dude. Get out of here. <laughs> right. No, he said no. Yeah, but you that, won't kill babies. But that's 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 because he that's he knew that's the answer they're looking for. Oh. They're trying to gauge truth or false, not not accuracy of uh, or acceptability of the answer.
0: Uh, let me go back to the radiation people here for a second, because I think there's a way that it could be both a scam. And something they believe in as well. Uh, a lot of cults, a lot of cults uh, have dual purpose that way. Yeah. Well, let's say, let's say that they're trying to recreate, like, start society again, right? In the same way that like Kevin is trying. Kevin Senior. That's what says, he said yesterday
1: when he's leaving Australia. He's going to restart the world.
0: Right. He says, "I'm sure he dropped an f bomb in there too." Right. I'm going to restart the fucking world. Uh-huh. Uh huh. What if they're trying to do a very similar thing? They're trying to purge the bad apples from society here. Like, 2% of the people are gone. Let's take this as an opportunity. Oh,
1: it's now like a we reverse have reverse eugenics kind of thing? Right,
0: right. So they're getting the people who they deem uh, unfit to live amongst them now right. to buy into this idea that they can see their families again. and they know full well that they are not sending them to the other place wherever the 2% went. They're just vaporizing them. So it is a scam, but they also believe in the goal that they've got.
1: Do you know who seems just pragmatic enough to kill a baby to cure cancer? Who's that? Nora Durst.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, totally.
1: I like her a lot, but she's (laughs) awfully ruthlessly pragmatic sometimes. Yeah. Um, Okay, yeah. I I I don't know what that's all about.
0: Um, Before we leave the, the Beatles stuff here, I want to talk about how it is inspired by a 1971 movie called Walkabout.
1: Okay, I, hear about I've heard this? I've I've heard Walkabout mentioned several times, but I did not dig dig into I did not pull that particular thread this week.
0: So I, there are a lot of daemonisms throughout this episode and throughout mm. the show and Lost and stuff. Um, apparently, this 1971 film called Walkabout was a big inspiration for this episode. Uh, there's a Essentially, the the idea there is that these kids are stranded in the wilderness of Australia, and they have to fend themselves after they for themselves after their father goes berserk and uh, lights the beetle that they were driving in on fire mm-hmm. out in the wilderness, and then kills himself. He doesn't light himself on fire; he shoots himself. Right. But he burns the beetle, uh, and then Force these kids, yeah, go on a walkabout and meet meet with Aboriginal kids and tribes, and then eventually make it out.
1: Because the other, the walkabout, as I understand it, is like a rite of passage for aboriginals. It's like something uh-huh. they do to go from childhood to adulthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's got a, like a spiritual significance that's kind of been co-opted to mean a lot of different things. Also, um, I watched enough Lost to know it was also a really good episode of Lost. Yeah. Where we discover why Locke there was in Australia. Yeah. And what he was trying to do and he got, uh, he got rejected from his walkabout because he can't walk about in a wheelchair. Yeah, it's unfortunate. The Outback Uh, is not ADA compliance. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) It doesn't have ramps, uh, handholds, anything like that. But that's kind of what I'm getting at
0: with, you know, daemonisms. Like, Uh another thing that people were noticing uh, is
1: these symbols Uh um,
0: that are painted on the outside of, I guess, this aboriginal christopher Community sunday's Center.
1: house or like or i forget where the symbol was seen but. yeah
0: yeah but it, it's basically a red dot surrounded by white and blue rings with a, another ring of kind of dots on the outside of it uh-huh. and people are realizing oh okay we've seen that in a couple of places before back in lost that's actually the logo of the oceanic airlines yep um and they also kind of tracked it down to Tom, Tommy, and Christine's yeah, foreheads.
1: Yeah, the the, the, the the forehead dot people. I what's yeah, their actual name? I don't remember. The bullseye.
0: But they they painted that on their foreheads to kind of escape the right w- when they were being that, that's another
1: competing. There's the barefoot people. There's and then the, there's the people that paint the bullseyes on their heads. Right. And then there's a guilty remnant. There's there's lots of postmodern cults in this world.
0: Yeah, and the, the reason I, I call it demonism is because clearly, uh, Damon Lindelof is both, you know, now and back when Lost was on, he was so seemingly obsessed with this Aboriginal culture or or it was fresh on his mind at, at both of those points because well, this is an Aboriginal uh, symbol, I guess, and I don't know what it means exactly.
1: Right, and this is a new thought because I, I can see why he's be obsessed because there are a lot of statements that put forth the argument that Aboriginal culture is literally the oldest culture in the world. right. Previously, to discovering that, I considered the Egyptian culture old because, like you know, ten thousand years, you've got people building pyramids and having written s- a written form of communication, and that's fucking mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you think that, like, oh, actually, in this isolated little subcontinent, uh, there is a culture that stayed in stasis for fifty thousand years. That that beggars the imagination. Yeah it really like you can't conceive of that amount vast amount of time mm-hmm. uh, of of traditions and you know genetic purity and like all this it's it's incredible and it's unfortunate that uh it seems like we uh as the as as the as the white men and women have uh did a lot of work to destroying that um hmm, what are you going to do <laughs> i don't know
0: uh, <laughs> uh do what you can now go by take a time machine
1: it. and like you know get get people woke Couple hundred years yeah. before they when they needed to be. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, there, there's also you gotta this... talk to that asshole Hawking's in another wheelchair. He just won't let you do it. <laughs> it's causality. It's all because they, all See, he's, they he's, wouldn't let him go on the walkabout.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: He's like all this times arrow bullshit. Is really just he just he, he's pissed that he won't let him walk about. Yep.
0: Uh, the the other thing I want to talk about here briefly is. I, I don't know if, if it's even an Easter egg, but he he notices this snake picture and calls it Papunya. Uh-huh. I think. Um, apparently, that's a small Aboriginal colony about um, of about hun- three hundred people who live on restricted land in Australia. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, sacred sacred land. Uh-huh. Uh, and I found out it's the closest town to the Australian pole of inaccessibility. Do you know what
1: that is? Uh. That is the furthest you can get on land from a human settlement?
0: Uh, from the coast. Like, okay, from, okay. Because from, from there's able several different the points landmass. of
1: inaccessibility. Like there's a part in the Pacific Ocean that's literally the furthest you can get away from any landmass. Right, and, right. Yeah, so okay. this is kind of the inverse of that, yeah, which yeah. is
0: um, the furthest you can get away from the coast. This is the the closest town to it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what that says, especially when you think of like – these sort of poles this axis monday yeah, that we're i was, talking about, to, about, I was like, about to talk about the axis monday and how, something like thematic
1: i wouldn't surprise me if it's later revealed that every point on this song line is an axis monday uh-huh and kevin's going to visit them all and drown at each one and then that's going to unlock the seven seals of the apocalypse oh, and, boy. and the locust with the fucking human heads and rainbow wings and <laughs> scorpion tails are going to come who knows uh-huh. who knows that'll all be fun yeah <laughs> Um, can we talk? I want to. I want to talk about Kevin's motivations because is it possible that Kevin Senior part of this his his and his antipathy towards Kevin Junior is because previous to the departure he had this end of life kind of existential crisis that his son was about to surpl- surpass him or surplant him. Like you know, he's getting old. He's about to retire. Kevin is young, and he's his son, and he's yeah. in the police. And and like all his life is over, and Kevin's is begin. You know, I I wonder if there's a little bit of that that then the departure just you know took that and added a whole bunch of crazy to.
0: Yeah, I, I could see him saying, "I need to distinguish myself in some way that isn't right. replicable by someone else." Like yeah. Kevin usurped his even his job, right? Like Kevin Jr. Right, he served senior's job, so he might be out there thinking, "If I can become the person who stops the flood, yeah, uh, seven years from now, maybe I can I can distinguish myself in that way, right? And no one will ever be able to follow me."
1: So see that. Can we talk about Christopher Sunday? Yeah, he's literally the last person. He's the last living person that knows this last
0: bit. Shame on him. Shame on you, fucking Christopher Sunday, for not teaching anybody else your song. Maybe the kids
1: didn't give a shit. They got Too Xboxes bad. Those fuckers are going to sit down and they're going to learn it. <laughs> you're going to eat your, your your song line vegetables. Yeah, look,
0: kids. I'm 97 years old. Yeah. I, I've been baking in the sun
1: for 90 years. Right.
0: I'm going to teach you this fucking song before I die because it might happen wrong. tomorrow. That's
1: Sunday is just 30, he's 36 <laughs> years old. That's, oh, what, that's what the Outback does to you, man. <laughs> Brutal. Not having air conditioning Outback, it just, it's like a, you're a <laughs> fucking human raisin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but – I mean there's a lot of ways to look at this. Number one, he kills the last person alive. So yeah. that means that humanity's screwed or maybe, you know, Kevin Sr.'s wrong. The other thing is and why I think it's it's um he is actually coming around to Kevin Jr. his story, is that Kevin Jr. might have the key to him being able to accomplish his quest because he can send Kevin to the International Hotel Make contact with Christopher Sunday. Learn his song. Uh, the jokes on Senior because when he comes back, it's just going to be a Simon and Garfunkel number. <laughs> right. That's that's Chris Chris's last joke on the world. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not sure how much we've got left to talk about. Um, I want to talk about Kevin. Um, you know, getting bit. And one of the four, the four horsemen in the apocalypse finds him at this Christian shrine that we have later find out is the site of her children's death. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes and he wakes up and this woman has built this chapel in the middle of the outback. And there's uh, these people they are building this boat. Uh, and he goes, yes, of course, because of the flood. And by their reactions, I couldn't quite tell if they were confused because he's just spouting nonsense or if... They're confused because he's talking about the same thing that they're you know, that, that Grace is talking about, and they seem to be her acolytes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you have any reading on this building of a boat in the middle of the outback that has no water, no water? Yeah, um... like if they're building this on the coast, I'd be like, okay, you guys could just be taking this for a pleasure cruise, or you're going to go shrimp boating or fish boating or whatever. But
0: yeah, I don't know what the page that they found says exactly.
1: Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. It seems like it's the cliff notes because she had a remarkably full understanding of Kevin's life. He's a police chief and he dies and he can come back. And and He he loves
0: cheeseburgers. Uh, Yep. I I don't know enough on the background of these people, right? Right. You know at some point she has these Judeo-Christian ideas because she assumes rapture. Right. um, Which is you know, that's where the,
1: those ideas. It seems like they're missionaries maybe, except for okay. she, does she, she sounded Australian to me. Yeah. I imagine there's yeah, Australian all missionaries in the outback, I guess. And they, mm-hmm. one of the, their most recent adoption was an Aboriginal boy, uh-huh. which I thought was interesting. Uh, in that scrapbook, there was a fragment of the Bible that was Isaiah chapters 41 and 42 which i did some research on and it's essentially the that the the lord promising israel that you're still my chosen people and i know we've been through some shit and you know there might have been some false gods and some rejections and i might have let you been invaded a time or two but i'm still standing beside you know you're still you're still my people uh-huh. uh like assuring them that they're going to be his chosen people to for for the foreseeable future um so I could see that being a comfort to someone who had lost the you know, like like uh you know this sure. promise that God's not abandoned you, even though that present circumstances might seem precarious or 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 or, or uh, conducive to being faithless. Um but I didn't uh I, I didn't and also the answer to the question of why the hell you would have an execution machine at the side of your pond. Uh-huh. It's just a teeter totter for fun. <laughs>
0: it is, yeah.
1: In, in simpler days um so there you go um do we have anything yeah, we want to my... talk about because that's the thing we we really don't know this woman's motivations and uh and all that and i don't know if she's going to be a bigger part of the series i don't know if we're going to slowly see like the australian and american sides merge i don't know if we've we're ever going to see the murphy's again for example right uh because like this is a packed show like uh How are you going to keep track with only five episodes left of what Matt's doing, what the Murphys are doing, what the Garveys are doing, what the senior Garvey and Grace Axis are doing. Mm -hmm. Like how 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 is that all gonna come together? And then you got Nora that you gotta tell her story too.
0: I mean, they did do some paring down uh between the seasons. They they essentially made Mac Matt's goal to publish this book of Kevin. Yeah. Um that doesn't really need a whole lot of detailing. Right. Um we know how he got there. Uh, you know, uh, Eric is gone. She's kind of sidelined at this point. Um, Evie's gone. So a, a lot of people, they, they've they done some trimming, and I think smartly, because uh, this is a short season, and we don't have much time left, and we have a lot of stuff to do, I think, still.
1: I feel like we're, we're going to be in for a Matt episode that's going to wrap up. So? Yeah, I mean... Because I do want to know what happens to Mary when she leaves Jarden. Okay. Because if she just leaves as uneventful, then I guess you don't need a mad episode. Right. But right. if anything happens, like if, <laughs> if her car blows up or she has a seizure and kills her and her child, like that's... Right, right. So Then, so then I need another goddamn mad episode for sure. I need a painting of Job to start talking to him again. Right.
0: So you're talking about the idea that if she leaves Miracle or if she leaves Jarden she'll right. turn into a vegetable again, or something bad will happen to her. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, I suppose Which that would Which I understand
1: be... her being dissatisfied with Matt, but I'm mm. also a little surprised that she is so cavalier about all of his stuff, because it seems like so much of it has come true. Um, I don't know, maybe she just doesn't believe the shit about Kevin. And yeah. And she's like I... me, and she's seeing all this as a coincidence that Matt is assigned meaning to. Yeah. But, uh
0: Sure. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, if they want to go somewhere with the, the Mary stuff, they can. I don't think they need to, though. Okay. Like, that's not one of my burning desires to know, you know, is Mary <laughs> tied to Jarden forever?
1: Well, I, I mean, I don't – I guess I, I – I, I'm only interested in her as it relates to the metaphysics of The Leftovers. Because, like if she okay. leaves, then I think that's a big blow to the show's metaphysics. Um. It's not an unwelcome one. It's just it's just a rejection of Matt's philosophy. Right. If something does happen, it's still one of those fun little things where it could just be a medical coincidence. You know, right. She has a seizure. People do that. Uh, yeah. And uh, bad things happen. It doesn't mean that Miracle is special.
0: You sing the Itsy Bitsy Spider and it stops raining. Yes. And it doesn't mean that that caused it. Yes. Yes. We didn't talk at all about the music.
1: Do you want to... Cause like I I had my hands full doing Aboriginal research this week. I didn't. I I, I let a lot of the. I mean, the only one I knew is uh, Richard Cheese, Dick Cheese, right? But so this, uh, personal Jesus stick.
0: Yeah, he does a cover of Depeche Mode's "Personal Jesus." Um, I feel like that's, you know, really leaning heavy into the idea that Kevin Senior thinks of himself that way. Right. I mean, um, that's his
1: stick. He does lounge singer things of stuff like marilyn manson yeah
0: stuff you wouldn't expect right. to hear in and, lounge form
1: yeah and he's he's kind of like the weird owl of lounge singers except for he doesn't really come up with original stuff i mean that's it that's it the the, ju- the irony of a lounge singing performance of something traditionally not
0: yeah he's made a career out of it so, yeah and uh, personal jesus like
1: him. i don't know i mean that that seems like it's pretty pretty easy open read
0: yeah i mean the book of kevin they're they're creating a personal Jesus. It kind of ties
1: more into your thought theory of senior still considering him a Messiah because like a, the concept of personal Jesus means like you know there's uh, more than one, mm-hmm. you know that everyone has a, a, a it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. Which also goes into one of the the things that Reza Aslan has written about is um, you know during the the the, the first century uh, BCE uh, there was this, just just Tons of of Christ's all over the Palestine region because Mm -hmm. there was a lot of prophecy written down in the Bible that pointed to that kind of period of time as when 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 a savior, a deliverer for the Jewish people would arise. So there's a lot of people that were fitting themselves into that. And the one that we we remember is uh, Jesus of Nazarene. Uh But there was just 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 tons of messianic cults around that time. Right. uh, Because people were looking for them.
0: Yeah. Uh, and maybe, you know, the ones who don't have books written about them are the ones that fall by the wayside. Right. The ones that do,
1: like Kevin Jr. The ones that got ad- adopted by the dominant culture at the time, the Roman Roman Empire, they get right. remembered. The other ones don't. And
0: that could be why Kevin Sr. is so upset that the book's not about him. Right. Because he's trying to leave legacy, ah. uh, trying to distinguish himself. and
1: He doesn't want no Jesus come lately to, no. to replace him.
0: <laughs> not at all. Uh, so, one of the other songs is Eddie Rabbit's I Love a Rainy Night, yeah, which is essentially a song about, you know, the irony of liking the sounds of of a storm, essentially, um, or, or liking the feel of a storm. It's good sleeping weather. No, uh, I, su- uh, I can't. No? <laughs> no, I don't think so. You don't? We've been having a lot of storms here lately, and they always wake me up with fucking thunder. Well,
1: now that I have a basement, and my basement flooded two weeks ago because... Uh. um. Fucking All the rain. Yeah, well, and the sub pump, it walked its way to where it pinned the float against itself in the side of the little well that it's in, uh-huh. so it didn't kick on. And I just happened to, before I go to bed, I was like, I ought to take a look. Uh, and sure enough, there's like two, three inches of water in my garage, and I'm like, God damn it, so I got that fit. But yeah, yeah, I, I back before I had in a, a basement, though, it's quite quite pleasant to listen to rain hitting the window and... I mean, yeah, okay, like a the, fucking... A
0: super loud thunderclap outside your window sucks. Yeah, a
1: thunderstorm, up. like violent tornado weather in the Midwest is scary. But like a gentle rainstorm? Eddie Rabbit must
0: never have visited a tornado-prone area.
1: No, he lives in Miami. Probably. <laughs> Rain's just always gentle and warm and tropical and non-threatening. Yep. Unless it's a hurricane. <laughs> I
0: was really surprised. I expected the next song to be Who'll Stop the Rain. I... I Greens Clearwater Revival who'll stop the rain. I expected them to play that hmm. since that's exactly what Kevin is trying to do but they never
1: they got, never did. Got got lots uh lots more season. That's true.
0: Um and then they also had a Christmas carol mixed in there when um was that
1: the kids kind of singing? Yeah, Kevin yeah.
0: Senior lays down beneath the cross to die right. and That was really pretty. Yeah, it's called Little Little Jesus sweetly Sweetly sleep, Jesus. Can't say it. Uh, I don't know what it means. It's essentially like It's
1: another thing that points Christ imagery towards Kevin Senior,
0: for sure. And, and well, actually, it might point away. It's it's kind of all about these people singing to baby Jesus, saying we will do what we can to support you. Mm-hmm. Essentially, we will give you the help that we can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in your mission, and if you want to, if you want to say that Kevin Senior is out there, sort of supporting Kevin Junior at this point, unknowingly. Yeah, um, and there's also I mean could you can take
1: that because he there's some angelic imagery there because uh, you got yeah. Kevin lying at the foot of this cross and his crutches are behind him like wings, but then mm-hmm. also he's a fallen angel, if anything, and that mm. imagery is also is is very satanic, right? So you got you got a little bit of triple dip there. Choose mm-hmm. your own messiah, <laughs> satanic adventure.
0: And then the one that I cannot get out of my head is this Aboriginal song.
1: Oh, Whether yeah. it's real or fake, and I, I, it's probably incredibly <laughs> offensive. I'm not going to do it on a podcast. I'm not but either. This this morning, in the shower—it's all I could do. Yeah, to be to, 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 like, if I had, <laughs> to, if to I had two just wooden, dance around. Yeah, and... If I if I had two uh, two wooden sticks, I was doing I was doing all the vocals just so.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know
1: what it's called. I don't know if it's real. But... I don't know if it's disrespectful to the culture. I hope not. But it was really fun to make my mouth make those sounds, and yeah. it sounded amazing in my shower. <laughs> <laughs> before we get to the feedback i want to tell you about club.baldmove.com and how you can get a free 30-day trial of it if you go to club.baldmove.com uh, it gives you the pitch but basically you're supporting us as independent podcasters it's the only way we can talk about a show like fargo or pff, a show like the leftovers or fargo or better call saul mm-hmm. uh, basically year round coverage of all the television and all the movies uh, worth talking about um it gets harder and harder to do. We try to do it, and, and, and we're able to do it by uh, listeners' generous financing of those efforts. And you get a lot of stuff in return. Uh, at the end of this podcast, we're going to put a snippet of our spoiler-filled review of The Circle, which was an ultimately flawed film, but it did lead to a lot of interesting philosophical discussions about online rights and digital privacy and what the future world of tomorrow might look like um, if it was inhabited by Hermione Granger and Forrest Gump. Um so that might be interesting if you and then again, go to club.baldmove.com to get a free trial when you sign up for it. Uh, thirty days, you can cancel it any time, and that 's a dirty little secret. You can raid all of our bonus material, just just, just just come up with a script or just just mainly download it all, to just watch it, you know set, set aside, just clear a calendar and, and go through the hundreds of hours of bonus content mm-hmm. and then cancel. take from us everything, leave us nothing we 're wide open. We're wide open for that kind of thing. Club.BaldMove.com
0: Okay, uh, that's all I've got for music. Why don't we get into recap?
1: Okay. Or, sorry, feedback. All right, let's reboot the recap. Uh, feedback. First, before uh, I talk about feedback, you can send it to leftovers at leftovers.baldmove.com. I want to talk about our spoiler policy, because this is something we used to talk oh, about Jesus. like before we started each show, uh, and we haven't talked about it le- recently. I got, and, and, and also, I'm, I'm ambivalent about it For this show, because, you know, Bald Move, we try to not spoil people. And anytime we do talk about potential spoilers, we tend to put them at the very end of the podcast. There is a gray area when we're talking about pre-release imagery um and
0: official a, trailers official and official marketing peeks material and, and right.
1: sneak peeks i'm not talking about stuff that's leaked i'm talking about yeah. things that the showrunners and the network want you to see in promotion of the show right we have long held that those are fair game in fact if you listen to our preview podcast that's literally all we talked about our our thoughts on the show and how they relate to the various trailers and pre-marketing material i take it as a matter of faith that HBO will not fucking ruin their own show with the things that they show us ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And, um, however, having said that, um, when we were going through the spoiler section on the first podcast, the first podcast for the first episode, I remember really being uncomfortable about hearing these spoilers because I've also said that I'm a spoiler agnostic person. Like, I feel like if the story is good enough... It will bear multiple watches. Let alone, like you know, you might have a a fleeting, ephemeral pleasure at seeing a mechanic work out. But if that's all there is, it's a pretty shallow experience. The rest of it, like that, mm-hmm. that should be like the tip of the iceberg of your enjoyment. But I felt like kind of like jealous of my experience of being able to see that stuff for the first time. So I don't. I I think what we we just need to get our our story straight. If we're going to talk about things that are in uh, – because we don't often talk about the stuff that's coming on the next week on. Um right. We used to mm-hmm. because that 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 falls under our bulwark of, well, if you're an active fan and you're participating in the community, these are things that you're seeing. These are things that you have to avoid seeing at the end of the episode, for example. Um, what are we going to – because if, if, if people – uh, want to nope out on our coverage for this final season and then maybe listen to it all or just, just choose not to listen to it um, I just want to make sure we make a call and we stick to it uh, so what is our spoiler policy going to be going forward because the reason I'm talking about this is I got a uh, a, a good, good amount of feedback in the last two podcasts where people were like we don't really like you guys talking about this advanced material so what do you what what's our what's our policy going for are we going to stick to the if it's in a preview if it's in an image if it's in a marketing material we're going to talk about it i mean i
0: i feel like that's the way to go um simply because it's officially released stuff mm-hmm. if it was like oh well we got a you know we got a screener or a sneak preview or whatever just meant for us and we share that with everybody i think then you could be upset about it but right uh and I mean, you know, you have the right to be upset about whatever the fuck you want. Sure. Uh, maybe I, I don't know, man. I I don't think it's a problem. Yeah. But and I also I think the how cats out of the bag
1: it. at this point. Like we've talked about all the things that are relevant in the previews and and whatnot. Now I, I don't. I mean, think... that's
0: the entirety of our season three preview coverage. I, was I'm previews you, for the season? I'm like, hearing you. If you listen to that podcast and you're now complaining about spoilers in the weekly ones, I don't know what
1: to I tell think, you. I think people I, – I, I do think that the people are entitled to be protective of an experience when we're talking about one of the – like, you know, we you and I both talk about the show as if it's one of the greatest shows in television history. So I understand mm-hmm. that people want to be protective of that first experience. Ultimately, you only have it once – and, you know, if if if, if this show is going to have staying power, it's going to be something you're enjoying for years and decades to come. But, you know, I, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. I, I think we're right. I think if we stick with the preview stuff, then we'll be okay for the vast majority of the audience. Yeah. If that means that you're not comfortable listening to our podcast, then I I don't I, – I mean, I, I don't – that's not something I like, but I understand if you're – Really protective of that initial experience, and you don't you want to go in with no expectations. I'm just saying, as a person who's seen the previews for season two, and I lamented, "How in the hell is this not going to experience, spoil the experience?" And it didn't. I have enough faith in the the, the showrunners and the network. Did not, not that's not the same for every show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got all you're all over the map. Like the Mad Men previews were famously like, "What the fuck." You know, they, you got nothing from them. And then I've sure. seen others, like, you know, some other shows that give away the ghost. And really, movies of late, it seems like the trailers are really yeah. trampling over the the plot of the, the movie. So, sure. yeah, I, I would just go forward and, like, you just need to know, Bald Moves' policy is if it's officially released by the agents of the show and the marketing materials, that's fair game for us to discuss.
0: At the risk of belaboring the point here, I'm going to say this strikes me as like the people who would complain about this because, because fundamentally we are a fan podcast for hardcore fans. I mean, we're not for someone who wants to wait and binge watch the show a year and a half from now. Right. right. Like that's not what we're doing. We're real time. We're part of the fan community. We're here to inform you about the show um, and to give our take on it. And this, this strikes me as like someone who goes to Reddit and complains about spoilers for a show. Right. Like, and they go like the day after the episode airs, and they haven't seen it yet, and they go to Reddit, the mm. the subreddit right. for that show. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing in yes. here? You have this to is know. not the place for you. If that, like, I respect your desire to not hear spoilers, but if you come to the place where the spoilers are, you're yeah. gonna get spoilers.
1: It's like think- if you if you have recorded the game, the big game. Uh-huh. And you are waited, and you went to a bullshit party that you couldn't watch the game, and you want to watch it in real time and have that. And then the first, as as you drive home from the party, you list, you you flip on sports talk radio. Right. What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing now? Um, I, I think in a perfect world, people would want us to just give, you know, our, our in depth analysis and our personal takes about the episode in isolation. But I think for the but that's not the majority of the fan they 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 are along with us watching the previews and they want to hear that's part of the experience too the speculation and all that and um, I,
0: I mean that's that's essentially saying we want to be blind to a portion of what the community is talking about right and, and it's that's, that's not what we're person. here for yeah right now I I might say hey if we want to coordinate off into a spoiler section. That might be possible. It does break up the flow of the conversation. Yeah, um, and forces you to kind of say, "Well, let's talk about that later," which people equally hate. Right? They they write in every time we do that and say, "Would you guys just fucking talk about it instead of saying we're going to talk about this later?" Yeah, and I get that sentiment too. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. We're going to talk about everything that has been officially released. I think.
1: Yep. Okay. Let's. Uh, we've belabored the point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have beat the snake to death. Uh, okay, Tom W., first thing up. Uh, one thing I was surprised that went unmentioned in the episode two podcast was the cover photo for the show seen in the show's Facebook page on the HBO Go menu. Yeah. With a shot of a brightly lit Nora in front of a very dark Kevin standing in front of a wall cracked in the shape of wings, already bursting at the seams with references and an interesting inversion of your Nora-cursed and Kevin-blessed discussion. But after episode two, it's not clear the wings are also a logo for the Wu-Tang Clan. And I think they're right. Same wings, yeah. They that that like it looks like angel wings, but they're also like from what we can tell of it, seems entirely consistent with the Wu Tang Clan logo.
0: (laughs) That's pretty hilarious.
1: Yeah, and I until I got the emails, like I looked, I'm like, shit, you're right, you're right. Like it's impossible to say it's not the Wu Tang logo unless you would move Kevin and Nora out of the way. I bet they were just looking for distractions,
0: um, yeah, from the main themes, and they were like, okay. Let's search for winged logos and see what comes up. Oh, what? The Wu-Tang Clan? Perfect.
1: Right. But there's also, like, you know, is Kevin an angel or those wings are dark? Because, like, you know, Satan's got wings, too. They're bat wings. Are they angel wings or are they Satan wings? Are they on Kevin or are they on Nora? Like, that's... And right. There's been multiple hundred-plus reply threads on Reddit analyzing that exact same image. So Yeah. Uh, Moving on to Johnny, this may seem like a prediction, but I feel like this week's episode is making some suspiciously obvious plot arcs. Mainly the one dude who holds the song that saves the world is dead, and Kevin from the new gospel can die and talk to the dead. I think Kevin Sr. might have figured out, or is about to, that his son will be needed to retrieve the song from Chris Sunday. We ended up talking about this, so I don't Mm -hmm. know if we need to provide more commentary. Um, I just want to talk about, because John was from the... um, Actually, this might be another email... Um someone was bemoaning the fact that it seems like the the at this in this last act the leftovers might be veering into the realm of the obvious. The like obvious. like this is uh, like it's obvious that Christopher he's going to go into the other side and talk to Christopher Sunday. It's obvious he's going to... I don't know that that's true because the other episodes of The Leftovers, the other seasons have been very adept at zigging when we thought they would zag. Yeah. Like, no one saw the International Assassin coming. Mm -hmm. Nobody. And certainly the return to International Assassin, like, like, and pushing Patty down a well, like, no one was calling that even the episode before. Yeah. So I have a lot of faith that these people have thought enough about this to where they might even be using our expectations and our analysis against us Mm -hmm. because Damon and Tom are really smart and they're really connected to these communities and they're watching what we're saying. Yeah. So I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I have a little bit of faith at this point. Uh, Dan L., with theory casting in full-blown uh, crazy mode already, I'm actually moving further and further into the other direction and find Leftovers much more interesting as a testimony, ha-ha, through the stories we tell ourselves to make meaning of the word, world. Mm-hmm. Lindelof said as much in an interview when he said The Leftovers was about the stories we tell ourselves. Mimi Leader joined in when she said we all have a story that we tell ourselves to get through the day, to get through our lives – and grace the kevin killer/kevin slash kevin savior admits that she killed a man because of the stories we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. I believe less and less that this show is about the supernatural except for the original departure and it's more about how people react to the world. That's how that's actually how I'm I'm trying really hard to cling to a rational this is just people dealing with grief. And I fully
0: expect nothing to happen on the 7th anniversary of the departure. Nothing. And that will confuse and confound the people who expected things to happen. But it's fully in line with that idea of these are just the reactions of the people to this one astounding event.
1: You know, the other thing is this little throwaway line that we haven't talked about. However, when they sign significance to the 14th, and then they point out in Australia that it was actually the 15th. In Australia, right. And the senior's like, oh, yeah, I keep forgetting it's the 15th down here. I thought that's kind of an amazing hint, too, that arbitrary nature of. of kind of space time and the dates that we assign significance to things. Right, right. Um, I thought that was like that was really lunch, cool and a hint.
0: Lunch this year, lunch with Jim and Aaron this year, is going to happen on Cinco de Mayo, but not everywhere. <laughs> not in
1: Australia. Um, is it? Is is it? Yeah. We have to have margaritas. <laughs> right. And taco salads. Uh-huh. Because that's how you re- pay respect that's... to the Mexican independence. Right, of course. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I, I – I, I agree. I agree. Now, what would you say if um, on the seventh the anniversary that the series ends with just, just uh, you know, you see Kevin and Nora standing around a digital alarm clock. It's 1159. And then 60 it seconds ends. later, it, it just fades to black. <laughs> or smash cuts to black. It does a full on uh, Sopranos.
0: Yeah. Uh, I would take that as a sign that everyone was raptured. <laughs> <laughs> The two percent was just a test run to yep. see if humans could cut yeah. it in, in
1: heaven. Yeah, work out the kinks. Right, it's a beta test it's for Like heaven. Jackie Brown. Yeah, <laughs> you try. You, tr- you first try to you try to get ten thousand out, uh-huh. and then you do the five fifty. So, uh, by the way, plug for Bald Move. We just did a review of Jackie Brown yesterday. We did. If you like hearing us bullshit, there's nothing we bullshit about. Aaron S. I noticed something last night when Kevin Senior recounts how he ended up in Australia. He said something interesting. I figured instructions were forthcoming and I always wanted to check out the opera house. So I bought a ticket and headed to Sydney, bought a ticket for Verdi, put on a nice suit and he continues from there. Possibly interesting connection is that in the international assassin episode, the music that was repeatedly used from the opera Nabucco by Verdi. I have no clue what that means beyond the coincidence, but it's interesting. That's, that's the tagline for leftovers. (laughs) I have no clue what this means beyond the coincidence, but it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree, and it's another thing that suggests that there's more than coincidence about this vision quest that the two Kevins went on in that episode. Ross B., I'm just starting on episode two of The Leftovers, so let me apologize in advance if another listener has already brought this up, but now that The Leftovers is on its final season on HBO, is there any way which we can get the show writers to come over to The Walking Dead? No. I just finished the first three episodes, and I'm struck, it struck me how they decided to go with a single storyline point of view, a small overlap of what's going on in these other storylines. Mm-hmm. And they somehow managed to keep me engaged in a story, even when Kevin and his family show up during the Murphys episode. At no point did I get frustrated that they weren't focusing on the quote-unquote main characters. I think it's just worth noting that The Leftovers has managed to make me care about and get invested in characters I had no prior knowledge of in just one episode, Not only that they did it in the season premiere after months of me having no update on the Garvey's. I don't like to be the one that continues to pile on TWD, but in a perfect world, I think AMC should take a real hard look at some of the writing staff to make The Walking Dead go from a successful drama in terms of bringing eyeballs to Emmy-worthy drama that we've seen from the past. I mean, I don't want to get on that horse either, but you do wonder if they stayed to their roots about the zombie apocalypse being a metaphor for people dealing with grief and loss and how much further they could go with focusing on the characters rather than how awesome it is to kill zombies sometimes
0: right yeah i, I mean that's the strength we always talk about with the leftovers is the characters and that's the thing one of the big things that's missing from the walking dead there they seem to be going for those moments every once in a while but they consistently fall short yeah um with with occasional moments of inspiration uh, this show is the exact opposite. I, I can't think of a time when it has fallen short on depicting these characters right. in believable and and interesting ways. And- but
1: that goes back to the source material, too. If you read the original book by Tom Parada, it's actually a much more bland and melancholy version of The Leftover Season 1. Hmm. Whereas okay. The Walking Dead's source material, yeah, sure, it's about people getting through, like, a realistic depiction of how society goes through the zombie pockets, but it's got its share of sensationalism and crazy shit and stuff that's just cool. Like, that's kind of its bread and butter, too. Yeah. I don't know that the shows have enough similarity. I mean, you could. You could make a version of The Walking Dead that is a lot like The Leftovers, but it probably wouldn't be The Walking Dead anymore. Yeah. It would be some other show. So, but, yeah – Point well taken. They, they they certainly need to upgrade their writing staff if they want to start winning Emmys for characterization and acting yeah. and writing. Uh, Brennan L. I was curious so I looked up events that happened in 1981 at Niagara Falls. Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole? Sure, let's do it. The first news article I found was a mother who threw her two-month-old son over the falls. On mm-hmm. August 29, 1981, the mother, named Dunaya Sayeg threw her baby named Hesham over the railing and into the river just up from the brink of Horseshoe Falls on the Canadian side, whereupon he was quickly o- swept over to falls. The name Dunaya means world or earth, ultimately from the Arabic Dunya, meaning world, kingdom, or universe. The name Hesham means generous in Arabic, ultimately from Hashama to crush, the meaning derives from the traditional Arab act of crushing bread into crumbs in order to share it. So this baby's name means to break bread like Jesus and his mother, the world killed him. This has to be significant, right? Definitely not. (laughs) Definitely not. Um, I mean, it's interesting because my real name, if it's translated into its original Hebrew and German counterparts, literally means high priest of a church courtyard. And yet I'm a secular atheist. (laughs) So uh, my... my mom is crazy though, so there, there's a little bit of foreshadowing there. Um, my name, when translated
0: into traditional Wu Clan, clan <laughs> Wu Tang Clan, means lucky leader.
1: So right yeah. here you go. Uh, would you? Are you lucky or a leader? I'm neither of those things. All right. Um, I don't know. I mean, why did Lind- Lindelof pick these particular dates? Is it is it possible that he saw this story? And there's going. To, I mean, I, I'm not going to rule anything out. But that that this is this is kind of why I, I I do less on the theorizing and stuff that's not mentioned direct about a show because you can cast a pretty fucking big net if you start looking at what went down in the summer of '81, Niagara or what yeah, went down. in let me, let me in ask May you what 72. the what the
0: Billboard charts looked like in May of '82,
1: or, um, or May of '71. It was the end of the world as we know it. Seventy two, eighty one.
0: <laughs> That's a, right. Like right, yeah. Who gives a shit? What was on TV? What was the number one grossing box office movie? Right, at and Lindlock like, does
1: look at those things, but how do you know in advance which things he's going to look at? It's much better right. to just let him show you the things, and then you can comment on it. Yeah, like you know, I mean, he might have a gnarly looking dick until he actually drops his trousers and shows us. <laughs> it's what 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 uses. Is, is speculating upon how gnarly or bent or withered it is
0: speaking of gnarly looking uh-huh kevin senior man i
1: love it he he looks like the outback you know that he looks like a cracked desert floor that's the one thing i don't think we talked enough about because we just got upper ass analysis but scott glenn yeah scott glenn's great just brought the thunder
0: yeah and the rain. And I'm not saying this to, like, disparage the man. Like, there's a certain nobility in looking the way he does. Yeah. And uh, the, the,
1: and the other thing is, he clean, like, if you, you cut his hair nice and put him in a tuxedo, he's, he's yeah, like, yeah. they're definitely cragging him up and giving him the scraggly Jesus hair and, and the filming beard. filming it and, so that you get high contrast. Yeah. He's, he's got stonewashed jeans. He's got a stonewashed face. He's yeah. He's got the whole thing. But it's all in service to the role. And yeah, it's, Christ. It's It's, it's, it's amazing. <sighs> Interesting use of words there, Jim. Would you like to talk about it? No, I would not. Jason T. in Milwaukee. Oh, butterscotch. (laughs) What does that mean? You'll never know. (laughs) Now I may be alone in this, but I felt like this is the first bad episode of the last two seasons. I'm not one for the while the last episode you were watching happened. This also is happening approach the show has given us, and this felt like the worst example. I found myself very bored overall, even with a few laugh-out-loud moments. I feel like this was a smarter show for smarter folks An episode like this just holds viewers' hands in a don't-forget-this-also-happened sort of way. I just don't know how... If, if you blended the timelines, this is the only way you could get all of this information, that the two timelines might very well distract from each other. Instead of getting the powerful sequence of just about Kevin and just about Nora and just about Kevin Sr., it's diluted somehow. So... I agree, like, I feel like this topsy-turvy uh, Quentin Tarantino-style delivery of storyline can wear itself out. But on the other hand, as smart and as deliberate as the show wants to be, how do you do that with a conventional ABC plot Right, in, an, in a conventional hour of television?
0: Yeah, that's the thing that I – I think the one advantage of telling these eh, – maybe not the one, but one of the advantages to telling these – um Kind of segregated stories is you can tell different stories in the same, uh, in a single hour of television that are happening at the same time. Cause like it, TV, oftentimes when it's at its best, a single hour of television has a unifying theme. Yeah. And if two of your characters that are so closely linked have different themes uh-huh. for them, including them into a single episode can be challenging uh-huh. because. You'll feel that that disparate thematic connection, and it won't. It just won't feel as cohesive and solid as it could. Um, so, having you know a single hour of television devoted to a single character's story makes it feel cohesive. Right. While having parallel, differing storylines for yeah. other characters. Yeah. And i I think that's working here well, um, but it's based solely on the skill of the writers. I think they could easily fuck this up. Sure. Um, if they were less talented.
1: I also wanted to hear your opinion on that because I feel like you had a little bit of the same concern that yeah, maybe yeah. ultimately went away when you got over your expectations for the episode. Or maybe you just it did yeah for the leftovers. Now, I don't know. I,
0: I can totally see why you know somebody might not like this episode.
1: Because it's not moving the ball forward. Yeah, It's illuminating things that we didn't know happened. Right. Presumably setting the stage for this all to converge. Because mm-hmm. that's another thing the Leftover does well. They, they, they silo everybody up. And they set all these things in motion, and then the last few episodes, you see these things collide. Yeah. Um, so that I actually am excited to see, like, how far afield they are and the spanning continents and time zones and datelines, and yeah. I think it's going to be cool. Uh, Johanna from the forums. So Grace's last name is Playford. Do you think she's a descendant of the Millerite leader Thomas Playford? He was a prominent in the re, uh, religion of the Millerites and uh, Adelaide. I don't know how to pronounce Adelaide. this. That's where, D, that's where our friend D is from, I believe. Yeah. In the mid-19th century, he published a book of his sermons that he called Discourses on the Second Advent of Jesus Christ. Pretty good connection, I think. And this is the flip side of the Niagara stuff, right? These are concepts that Lindelof already introduced. Right. The fact that we With have the this name. Millerite cult mm-hmm. in Australia that we opened and meditated on the first season and now her last name is Playford and that like, that's a direct connection and I'm sure it's intentional and obvious
0: now. I don't know that she's meant to be like a descendant,
1: but exactly
0: the the connection is there thematically. Certainly.
1: Right, 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 right. Uh, Omar from Cairo. uh, I've never experienced a more extreme and quick shift of emotions from any piece of entertainment. Like I did in this final scene. (laughs) As an ex-Muslim Salafi extremist, and I'm talking, I was cheering on 9-11 levels of extremists. Oh, boy. Scenes about true life failing or regrets for one's own indoctrination and in the person you once were hit me so hard, I mm. cried, started crying right after the bit about it all being just a story. Yeah. But also, as an in-the-closet apostate currently fearing for his life, I usually indulge confirmation bias and the Salafis around me with a hidden... Omar laughing inside of me because the shit they make up to keep on believing even right after devastating results is always hysterical to me in some sort of nihilistic way and that's exactly how I felt right after you just got the wrong Kevin. So in a matter of 3 seconds I went from truly crying with chest pains to laughing my ass off hysterically. God damn you Lindelof. I that's yeah. an incredible email. Yeah. And uh I feel you brother because yeah. I mean I went through a very similar fundamental change in outlook but I mean the risk, uh, you know. I like I lost. I mean, like the, the risk between what you're what you're going through and living through and, and mine is is different. And I bet you have an incredible story to tell about how you uh, you, you 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 got out of that fundamentalist belief system. And congratulations for throwing off the the, the chains of ignorance too. Um, I, like I said, I just sent this an amazing email uh, of someone across the world with a similar experience to my own and a personal connection to the story, but higher stakes and are still in it. Um Yeah, and I really identify with the the last part that he said about you know, laughing at the
0: stuff that the the twisting yeah. that people do, the the reasons, the stories they tell themselves in order to keep believing the things they believe. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah, man. I, I see that or I saw that on a day to day basis when I was growing up, you know.
1: Yeah, and I kind of, like, one. I've talked about this a little bit, but one of the many things that, like, shook my faith is when the, you know, our cult readjusted the end times to accommodate the fact that, like, everyone that was... Because previous, it's like, the end's going to come before everyone that was born in 1914 was going to die. Right. And everyone was getting pretty long in the tooth in the mid-90s and the early aughts, and, you know, people are, like, wondering, like, oh, the end must be right around the corner... And then they readjusted it to essentially put it off indefinitely. And I remember mm-hmm. in the congregation looking around and like, am I the only one that thinks this is kind of crazy? And you can't tell because, like, I'm sure you in your life here, Omar, you look around and think how many other people see the absurdity of this. Like, I can't be the only one. Right. But it's not a safe space to like you, – you, you you're not a safe space where you can just stand up and be like, all right. Quick straw poll. Who thinks this is all crazy? Can we stop? And, like, it, it's also, like, this weird Kafka-esque experience. Like, what if eight out of ten people around me think this is all bullshit? And it's yeah, only yeah. being perpetrated because we are in this situation where we're afraid to tell the truth. Yeah. You know, but and that's how people die, and that's how the world changes. And it's <laughs> – I wish there was a better way, man. Uh, but stay safe. Stay safe. Mm-hmm. Um Ben. So I might I should have stayed that for the end because i don't I don't know where you go from there yeah uh, We go to Ben you hey, he better we go. have something ben? fucking astounding, Ben. yeah, I feel like you're the comic that that like <laughs> you showed up you, you you opened Mike Knight in New York and Dave Chappelle just went on. uh-huh. No one's heard from him for ten years and he slays and now here comes Ben <laughs> and it's 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 crickets no, and I have the spotlight.
0: I have faith in Ben Ben's gonna bring right. some amazing email thunder here
1: here we go. Uh so I may be uh so I may have called Old Scott Glenn Leatherface last week. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Good start, good start. Yep. But I think I just witnessed his best ever performance. The okay. final scene between him and Lindsay Duncan, an actress I'd never heard of, had so much raw emotion and to see Kevin Garvey Sr. just listen to her throughout was a real triumph. Um yeah, it was. It was. I don't know like cause Scott Glenn's he's a heart cuz he's done so many things. Um like I guess the 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 iconic role before this was his uh, submarine commander in uh, Red October, probably what I would say. Okay. But uh, this is a great great final chapter of his career. Well, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he's going to go on for another fifty sixty years and make lots of stuff to blow me away. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that, bo-
0: that book that you're writing, you need to throw that <laughs> shit out. <laughs> that final chapter. Uh,
1: Alright Ben, strong start My real question for you guys is this And that scene at the end is so exceptionally well acted From two actors that are not known for producing that level of depth How are they able to do that? Is it just a script? Is it a director? Or they really find outstanding actors That not many people have heard of And get them to act the shit out of it? Just curious as The Walking Dead hired loads of actors I've never heard of, but damn, they seem <laughs> to all suck ass why is a show like this, which I guess is relatively low-budget compared to the likes of Westworld, Game of Thrones, and The Walking Dead, delivering such real masterpieces? Woo, tough, tough, tough week to be uh, The Walking Dead. <laughs> Every week's so this a tough is, week for that. I mean, this is interesting, because I always feel like Breaking Bad is a great blueprint, because did you know that, um, like, uh, uh, H- uh, Hank Schrader, um, Dean, Norris. Dean Norris, was capable of his season five greatness before you saw it. Because I've seen right. him as a dude in Starship Troopers. I've seen him as a detective in like one of the Beverly... I mean, I've seen him in lots of different stuff. And he's just background level things. Yeah. And, you know, was... Did Vince Gilligan know when he casted him that he was capable of these greatness, or was he inspired in the moment? What did he did he see the script and was like Jesus Christ, this is the best thing I've ever read. I don't want to fuck this up. Like I feel <laughs> like it's like if you if you work with a bunch of jokers that don't know what they're doing, even if you're an exceptionally capable person, you just kind of find your level of competence and, and coast. Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas if you join a place where everyone is go-getters and they push and they're not going to they're not going to put up with excuses and bullshit and there's no there's there's no reason for failure except for your own shortcomings, you like it motivates you to be make damn sure that you're on your A game. Yeah. And I feel like that's a virtuous circle. Like you see that with like Peter Jackson's The Hobbit where from top down everyone's like this is going to be a quality goddamn production and it's it's going to show from the chainmail of the Uruk-hai to the actor the performances we get from the actors and stuff. Things like Breaking yeah. Bad and and now the leftovers like it's it becomes a virtuous circle where even if you are a person who is inclined to coast, you're like God damn, I don't want to fuck this up. I don't want to be the person that looks like a doofus in the frame when everyone else is <laughs> amazing. Yeah, and that's you know what great leaders do.
0: I, I've been or I recently finished up the Elon Musk biography, um, and and kind of that was his you know his goal is to get everyone to the same level of passion that he felt and you know the the means are not always ideal um but you know eventually you separate the wheat from the chaff and you get a group of people who are all dedicated to a singular purpose and all passionate about it and that feels like what the great shows have in common you know right. the you always hear about how great the behind the scenes uh, environment is yeah um and no pun intended when i say you know this is what great leaders do but Mimi Leader is a perfect example of that, right? Like <laughs> I, I fully believe that the director has a large part to play in the performance of an actor. As far as leaders go, Mimi is a great one. She is. because um, you can take someone who has the potential, or you can just take a regular person and kind of turn them into the, the person who can do th- those kind of performances on screen, can't you? Right. I mean you can you can inspire in them. A feeling that just makes them naturally act the way that that feeling makes sure. them act, right? Right. Like when you're happy, when you're sad, you act in different ways. And if you can bring an actor to that place via either their own internal mechanisms or by showing them the way. Right. You can get those performances out
1: of a lot of different people. Yeah, and like like look at Natalie Portman, um, Right. In the profession right. in, in the professional or in V for Vendetta or in any of the other stuff you've seen her in, and then look at her in like the Star Wars. Did yeah. she just fucking forget how to act? No, of course. Did she not. take not take it seriously, or does George Lucas just not know what the fuck he's doing? Yeah. Not know how to get a great performance out of actors. Right. Um, I mean, look at Harrison Ford in Star Wars: A New Hope. Look at him in Empire Strikes Back. Uh-huh. Like Harrison Ford's still charismatic and magnetic in the former, but he's on a whole other level, and that's because someone who actually gave a shit about performances was at the helm. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not any one thing. It's it's everybody, and it, it's it like is. I said, it's 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 a vicious circle of bullshit and apathy, and it's good enough and whatever. And there's mm-hmm. a virtuous circle of nope. We're not going to accept good enough we're going to demand perfection and you know that can go toxic too um sure that can lead yeah. to real asshole and, and and shit show behaviors as well but the, the the best places just kind of get it just right and I think the leftovers is, is one of those you know you got a showrunner who learned a lot from a previous uh high profile mostly successful very high quality thing that maybe just took a wrong turn at Albuquerque and you got mm-hmm. a solid uh Intellectual property founded on, you fill it full of good actors and talented directors and awesome writing, and this is what you get.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it goes top to bottom production, music, uh, cinematography, editing, editing like yeah. all of
1: it comes together. All that behind, below the line stuff. And, and if
0: one person in that group is just not dedicated. Right. and not interested in in pulling off what they're trying to pull off it can fall apart even
1: like you know you talk about the location scouts already location scouting someone went out and found all these awesome places in Australia to stage these things yeah. and found the you know the the lake or the, the reservoir in and garden uh-huh. and those are as part of the, as as part of, a part of the show as anything uh, moving on, Joe M. from Philly I feel like, uh, I have a feeling that you'll be drinking my milkshake on this one And I won't be able to wash down the dry pie you'll be serving me But here it goes anyway Lindelof in an interview explained that the reason for the changing opening theme Was first and foremost pragmatic But they took the opportunity to make it artsy artsy His words, not mine there are limited, They have a limited budget for this final season Which reflects in a shortened 8 episode run And they didn't have the budget to create a new open Which is very expensive to do But he knew he wanted each (laughs) season's opening to be different, and he also didn't want people to fast-forward through the titles. So far, he's going with ironic music that still resonates with the theme of the episode, and I like it. Being a big fan of ironic music and not ashamed to admit that I have many Richard Cheese songs in my library, (laughs) I have a huge thing for lounge covers of 80s and 90s alt-rock music, so sue me. I instantly recognized the song and immediately laughed out loud for the second week in a row. Lindelof has said that they might not work, but man, it's interesting to me. I like that he's taking some swings and I'm happy to go along for his ride. I need to laugh out loud early when the episode is uh, and then be bookended on the back end with some of the most horrific emotional stories. Uh, so he kind of wanted us to talk about how we feel that this is uh, how we feel about this plan and how we think it's succeeding or, or failing so far.
0: Well, first of all, I, I thought they were going to do something different. I thought they were going to put different songs over different intro visuals every right. time. Not Not like... Not like set intros, but yeah, like yeah, yeah. scenes that right. that would say something about the episode. But apparently they're not going to. I don't know. I must have misunderstood that in the preseason uh No, it, it seems interviews. like they're just
1: going to show the same credits with different music, which yeah. gives it a different tone, a different feel, and a different... Um... Yeah, I'm not sure how I'm liking it.
0: Uh, so far, I would say I haven't liked it. Wow. Yeah.
1: No, I'm... Uh exact opposite it has. i i feel like i instantly understand what joe's talking about that you get a shot of kind of levity or kind of like what the fuck or chuckling or like dan you know and then by the time you know you're 15 minutes in the episode you've you've forgotten about that and you're completely sucked in so yeah. i think it's clever and playful and if this is if this is the best they could do with the money they had. I think it's an inspired idea.
0: That that was the initial thought I had when I saw this for the second time. I was like that smacks me as a little cheap. Not to redo the intro or or do something else visually interesting with the intro. Well, smacked you right cuz it is cheap. I I guess so. That really sucks that they couldn't like they had Is they it cheap the season
1: and they had to Is it cheap or is it inexpensive?
0: It's both. <laughs> it's both in this case. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, so I mean, there's no writing, and honestly, uh, the credits are not going to make or break a show. No, of course not. I mean, uh, I love The Wire, but I think one of its big weaknesses <laughs> uh, are its, its credit sequence. Some years, yeah, yeah. There's some some remixes of "The Devil Got You Down" in his uh, way down. We got to keep the devil way down his hole. Were better than others, but on the whole, as a person who's been you know binging the, se- the, the season in my copious amounts of free time the series and my coping amount spend a free time, like it's definitely hit or miss and I find myself fast-forwarding through almost as soon as the first or second season or the first or second episode of a season. Yeah. Uh, so, but, you know, whatever. The credits, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, that's all we got for this week. Leftovers at baldmove.com if you'd like to try to get in next week. Uh, I get just just tons and tons of email. Like it's, just like last year on Leftovers is exponential. The first week wasn't too bad. Second week was manageable. This third week was, you know, well over 100 emails since last podcast. So I imagine it's going to get harder and harder. And it's not a reflection of your quality of the emails I'm getting. It's just like I literally can't read 100 of them, uh, much less several hundred. So um, competition stiff. But I do appreciate, I do read every one of them. I try to respond to, the, to, to people's, to ask questions that don't get considered. Uh, I don't know how much longer I'll be able to do that. But I'm just trying to say, I do appreciate getting it. This is, um, out of all the shows we cover, probably the feedback uh, I find the most personal, rewarding, and, and value in the one for The Leftovers. Cause probably because it's my favorite show, and I just, I'm just i genuinely just going along and loving everybody's theories. And even if I roll my eyes or sigh on a few of them... Uh, I, I like the effort and the passion. So there you go. Sure. Leftovers at baldmove.com. Also, the forums, they're there, forums.baldmove.com, if you'd like to discuss it with your fellow fans. Um, there you go. We'll okay. see you next week for what I'm sure is going to be another stellar episode uh, fronted by a cheap and trashy theme song. Yeah. What must it be? Cheap and inexpensive. Cheap and inexpensive. <laughs> All uh, right. We'll see you next week.
0: See you then.